Hello everyone and welcome to this Cracking Addiction. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Laura Petracek, and she's the author of a new book called The DBT Workbook for Alcohol and Drug Addiction. Now, Laura, before we move to your book, can you start off by explaining to listeners and viewers what your journey has been? Yes, Dr. Fergal. So I am a recovering addict and alcoholic. I went into rehab when I was 17, did a little bit more research, and I've been clean and sober since I'm 19. And then I started uh, in college taking classes for uh, to be an alcohol and drug counselor. And then when I was three years clean and sober, I didn't really understand what was happening. I was uh, feeling more depressed started feeling suicidal, um, but my mind started racing. And uh, my sponsor, I called my sponsor when, uh, or like three in the morning and she took me to a rehab, not because I had been drinking, but I needed, a, I wanted a safe place to go. And they did a bunch of tests and found out mm. that I had, at that time it was called manic depression. Now it's called bipolar disorder one, bipolar one. And... Mm. Then from there, uh, let me see, I guess fast forward to five years ago, my uh, only daughter left for college and I really sank into a deep depression and they just like nothing would help medication, whatever. And so they decided to try TMS, uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. And unfortunately that put me into a manic episode. Um, and that was worse than when I was three years clean sober. Uh, so after a lot of counseling therapy, my, um, psychiatrist recommended they had a intensive DBT program, dialectical behavioral therapy. And I mm. decided, okay, I've tried everything else. Let's try this too. And I've, found it so helpful. At one point I had an epiphany when one of the therapists said, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And I said, oh, they say that in 12 step all the time. And I thought, wow, these two programs, mm. DBT and the skills I'm learning would be so helpful for people in 12 step. And then that's when I decided I'm gonna write a book. And um, later uh, I decided to weave my own personal story. At first it was, only on a professional basis, the book, but when I had had uh, other, both friends and professionals read it, they said, oh, if you had your story, it would be such a much better book. So that's what I did. So, I mean, that's a, a story of championing recovery, isn't it? And it's a story of overcoming adversity, which I think we really do need to look into. But just to round the picture, not only are you a a, live, a patient with lived experience, both of substances and also mental health. So you're a patient with lived experience of dual diagnosis. You're also a qualified psychologist. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I'm a licensed psychologist. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So you you practice in the you practice psychology. You help people professionally. Right. And you also understand the journey that they're working walking on, and that is 
unique in some ways, would you not say? Yes, I think so, Dr. Fergal. I mean, I, you know, when clients hear, look, I've sat where you're sitting, I understand. Mm. Um, <clears throat> both uh, chairs, as it were, both from a recovery and mental health. Um, mm. And yes. So your story resonates with me, and particularly with regards to this concept of dual diagnosis. And could you explain to, to us a little bit about what that means? So dual diagnosis means that a client or patient has both a substance use or alcohol use disorder, plus they have a mental health issue. Could be depression, anxiety, for me, bipolar, and... Uh, so both of them are happening or occurring for the client uh, at the same time. I mean, they're both it's they're both issues that they're struggling with. And a lot of times clients don't necessarily not until you're clean and sober a while. Like for me, not until I was three years clean and sober did the mania, the bipolar come out. And I think some clients self-medicate. And not until they're totally clean and sober do they know, oh, what's the mental health issue that they're dealing with? Or it's hard to get a clearer mm. picture. I know patients that I work with, if they're still using, it's kind of hard to tell, okay, is this more substance use? Is this, you know, a psychiatric disorder? So, um, it, but it's definitely, I think, a more challenging recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. So, if, I mean, from my perspective, I mean, you know, I, in the field within which I work, I know that dual diagnosis complicates the the journey for patients, complicates the response to therapy, and mandates what we in in, in my part of the world what we call an integrated service delivery. Now, that's posh speak for really having people, having clinicians or therapists in a service that can deal with both disorders yes, at the same time and whilst they talk to each other. What I like about your book is as far as I'm aware, and I, I would love to, be, I'd love to be corrected on this, but as far as I'm aware, your book is the only book that specifically is designed to integrate specific therapies, not just service delivery, not just personnel, but actually the therapy itself into one unifying theme that helps people with a dual diagnosis. I, I'm not sure there's anything else out there that does this. Well, yes, thank you, Dr. Fergal. That is true. Uh, after I had this epiphany and started doing research, I didn't see anything uh, connecting mm. dual diagnosis yeah. and alcoholism. Uh, I saw a couple papers for professionals, but nothing for the layperson, nothing for people in recovery or have that have dual diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that why I think your, your <laughs> sorry, I was going to say that's why I think your book and your story is so important, and it is a message that pe it is a message of hope really that people need to hear. So let's explore a little bit about what dialectical behavioral therapy is. First of all, Laura, what should, how would you explain that to listeners and viewers? Dialectical behavioral therapy is uh, was discovered or invented by Dasha, I'm sorry, Dr. Marsha Linehan, and it is a three prong therapy, meaning there is cognitive behavioral therapy involved, mm -hmm. also involves meditation, 
and then also dialectics. And dialectic means both and. Okay. So, I mean, I've heard, you know, the dialectical behavioral therapy, and as you say, involves these dialectics. And one of the dialectics that I've, that it has been suggested to me is this idea of the, of the act of passivity versus apparent competence. Now, you know, I, to my mind, it was uh, always something about you either were in the phase where you were, you were either or, and you're telling me it's both hands. Could you explain that a little bit more? Sure, Dr. Fergal. Um, so dialectics, a lot of people who are uh, addicts, alcoholics, or have mental health issues, they look at the life, uh, look at life through a lens of either or. You know, I'm either my life is really good or it's really bad. But with dialectics, uh, Dr. Linehan talks about both and. So meaning, for an example, my life, I'm really struggling right now. However, I am making strides in using the tools that are helping me not overreact and feel better. Or another example is with the recent uh, pandemic. The COVID is horrible. It's very scary. And I know that we're going to get through this. So, there are the so it's hope in the face of adversity. Is that, is that what you're saying? Hope in the face of adversity, but also it's more about living in the gray. It's not, uh, DBT is more about the gray in the middle instead mm-hmm. of the extremes. Because a lot of people with either mental health issues or alcohol and drug issues tend to be living extremes. So like there's a saying uh, in 12 step, I, um, you know, my car broke down, I changed the tire and then I felt like, oh no, I'm suicidal. Like those are extremes, right? And dialectical behavior would say, oh, I have a tire, flat tire, I need to fix it. What's the first step? Need to call AAA. Second step, make sure I'm in a safe area. Third step. So again, uh, responding to situations of dialectical behavioral therapy instead of reacting to situations, which unfortunately a lot of people who are untreated uh, substance users or with mental health tend to react instead of respond. I mean, what you're saying also to me reflects this, uh, my ideas of how black and white thinking are actually counterproductive to recovery and treatment. Is that something that resonates with you? Yes, exactly, Dr. Fagal. Black and white thinking works against recovery from mm. substance use and also works against uh, recovery from mental health issues as well from depression to anxiety. So what I'm hearing, I suppose, is the dialectics is, is basically understanding that no one's all good, no one's all bad, and that we have both good and bad within us. We have, we have hope uh, within us, even in the face of adversity. Is that something that you'd uh, support? Yes, that is part of dialectical behavioral therapy, that there is hope. No one is all good or all bad. But it's a little bit more uh, detailed than that, nuanced. It's... Mm. DBT is more about no situation is all good or all bad. No symptom Ah. of depression or anxiety is all good or all bad. 
Um, it's looking right. at, okay, I feel really, let's say, suicidal. But on the other hand, I'm calling my therapist. I'm calling my psychiatrist. I'm calling my DBT therapist to get tools to use. So again, both and. Uh, so it's not so much, it's not only about us that we're not all good or bad, but our symptoms or situation is not all good or all bad. That's wonderful. Thank you for that clarification. So dialectical behavioral therapy, you said, is not just the dialectics. There's other components to it. So some of the components are, as I stated, the first one is cognitive behavioral therapy. So looking at our thoughts. A lot of times people both have substance use issues and uh, alcohol use issues and mental health have distorted thinking. So let's say uh, you try to call someone and they don't call you back right away. And then your mind, we start thinking negative. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, they don't want anything to do with me. And then the person calls like a half hour later. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed your call. I was busy. I had to finish getting something to eat. But unfortunately, mm. addicts or alcoholics or people with mental health issues tend to fill the gap with negative, with negative thinking mm. instead of, you know, positive intention instead of, well, maybe they're just busy or, you know, not taking it so personal um, is also a factor of, of DBT therapy. You know, the other mm. prong or another prong is the meditation. And this is where there is meditation mentioned in 12-step, specifically the 11th step is about prayer and meditation. But in DBT, they broaden meditation with using Buddhist meditation or Tara Brock or any number. There's so many apps now about how to meditate uh, or what to um, focus on when you're meditating. Primarily meditating on your breath is uh, a primary one. And it, there's also walking meditation, um, music meditation. So it's uh, very enriched in terms of the different types of meditation. Let's move on to the 12-step program. Tell us about the history of the, tel of the 12 steps first. So the 12-step program was uh, designed or invented by... Uh, Dr. Bill, or Bill W. rather, and Dr. Bob. And what happened is, is this was in the mid-30s, and Bill W. was trying to get sober, kept ending up in the hospital to get, at that time it was called the dry-out ward, um, because they didn't really have any treatment for someone who was alcoholic. And, um, and it was probably his 10th or 11th time, and then, um, Doc, I mean, Bill W. stated that he felt like a, a, or saw a light come through and that gave him a sort of peace and, and the compulsion to drink, he said, was lifted. And then he met with Dr. Bob and they decided from there um, that the first step would be helping another alcoholic because uh, the doctor said, hey, there's another patient on the ward that needs help. And so Bill W. said, oh, well, I'll go talk to him, you know. I'll tell him uh, what's helped me. And um, so that's how it got started. Um, it became more official mm. when they wrote the big book 
the big book was on the cover of, uh, I think it was the New Yorker. And, um, and then it got really popular, like, you know, went from 80 members to like 800 members and people were calling and wanting to know what is Alcoholics Anonymous? Uh, what is it all about? Where can I get this quote, big book? And then the 12 step book or, or 12 and 12 as it's called, that was written a few years later. Right. And from those humble beginnings, there now exists a vast international organization. Yes. Yeah. It's all peer led. Yes. It's all peer led. It's uh, split off or not split off, but there's many, uh, different factions of 12 step, meaning 12 mm. steps for overeaters, 12 steps for people in anxiety, 12 step for people who are gambling addicts, 12 step for love and sex addicts. Um, there's just a 12 step program for almost any problem now. And my book mm. um, adds one more 12 steps and DBT to help with recovery. Mm. Yeah. So the 12 steps, they, they're really a journey towards recovery, aren't they? What are the highlights in that journey according to the 12 steps for you? What do you think the most important steps are? I know they're all important, but which, which ones stand out for you? Well, I think the first one is very important, invaluable, and a step mm. that you need to do 100%, meaning if you're not clean and sober, nothing else is really going to follow suit. Meaning working the other steps, if you're only doing half measure, if you're not totally clean and sober, uh, they're not going to really be helpful, be fruitful. Um, and so the first step I really like, and then I like the 11th, no wait, the third step, um, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of a higher power as we understand that higher power. And yeah. that is... That's, uh, that's something I wanted to talk to you about a bit in more detail. Oh, sure. um, there are some, some of my patients don't like the 12-step program because it requires, a, well, they think it requires a belief system, a, a belief system in a higher power. And, and I suppose people who have been traumatized perhaps by organized religion or people who who are atheists that that can sometimes be off-putting for them How, what would you what would you say to them well i totally i mean i understand and i'd say they don't have to believe in god it could be god group of drunks so the group could be a higher power or god the great outdoors that could be your higher power. It could be a doorknob. It doesn't have to be God. Um, it doesn't have to be like also deal with some patients who aren't Christian because a lot of clients say, well, this seems like a Christian God uh, and I don't believe in any God. And I said, it's, I know it's off putting. That's for sure. Um, for, for, yeah. for some people. And so then I just try to offer alternatives that it doesn't have to be some, and also use the word higher power instead of God, or um, like I said, uh, other metaphors, like great spirit. Uh, a lot of P 
people here, Native American, great outdoors. A lot of people love to be outside and feel some kind of spiritual happening out there. Um, so yeah, to try to not, you know, um, get them tripped up on it. And so in my book, I try to say higher power instead of God and uh, kind of soften the language a little bit because if we're, you know, if we're putting people off before they even start, I mean, to me, that's defeating the purpose then of trying to help someone who has a problem with alcohol or drugs or substances. Um, and so I could see, but there are meetings for agnostics. So I also direct clients that way. Um, and then there's no God talk at all, or there's also, um, smart recovery. There's no mention of a higher power there. So directing to clients to different programs, if AA just doesn't work for them in terms of the higher power or also the language, you know. So really what I'm hearing is that this, this higher power shouldn't really be an impediment to access to therapy within within the 12 step program. And it really it's, it's, it is what you make of it and you can convert it into whatever it is that works for you. It's not, there's no imposition of belief upon you from an external superior source or anything like that. No, there's not. And again, I no. think it's helpful, you know, when someone's at that particular stage or area um, mm -hmm. to direct them to a meeting for atheists or agnostics uh, yeah. so that, just doesn't get in their way. Sometimes clients down the line will say, oh, okay, I just went to a regular meeting, you know, but other clients don't want the 12 step at all. So again, uh, refer them to something like 12, not 12 step, sure. um, smart recovery, which is a sure. program based more on cognitive behavioral therapy and no sure. spiritual at all. So, I mean, one of the, one of the issues that I've got, I, I've, I look after people with um, substance use disorders and also people with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And certainly we know that with a dual diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and substance use disorder, we know that the prognosis is actually worse than that of cancer. Wow. And yet cancer, in, certainly in Australia, cancer gets all the funding, you know, but mental health disorders... And substance use disorders, they're, they're grossly underfunded. Right. So really what I'm trying to allude to is the fact that this is a treatment space that is very marginalized. And I think that your book that you have written really should stand prominent within this treatment space. What was the inspiration for you to combine these two treatment elements into one? The inspiration was when I was in a DBT group myself as a, a client and also like the um, I wanted to turn pain into purpose, my pain into a purpose. Mm. Um, and that was, if I wrote a book, I know I could help so many more people than just a limited amount in my own private practice. And mm. also being a 12 step myself for many, many years, I know there's, thousands and thousands of people like myself who have mental health issues that feel, you know, sometimes alienated or uh, there's uh, not a place for them in 12 step or they can't talk about it. That's how I certainly felt 
in the beginning of my recovery in the early years. Um, and that, so really to help people, and, and like you were saying earlier, to be a power of example, to offer people hope, you know, yeah. that if, if I could make it, you could make it. I mean, my road has been, you know, no easy by any stretch, <clears throat> but, uh, mm. but I am here and, you know, and I want to share with you what, how I got here and hopefully it'll help you too. Your book is divided into various chapters, which reflect both the concepts of DBT and also the 12 steps. What would be the unique salient points in that story and that you've described in your book? What do you want to get over to readers today? So that's a good point, Dr. Fergal. The, the main uh, difference or addition, my book gives clients or alcoholics, addicts, or people with mental health issues, more tools. So, in, you know, the uh, big book and 12-step book were written again in the 30s. That's 80 years ago. There's been so many advances in mental health since then, and also substance use and alcohol use for that matter. And so I divided into each step. So instead of with step one, Maybe there's two concepts that could help that are mentioned in the step book. Well, DBT has eight or nine corresponding skills that or tools that could help someone deal with uh, the first step, especially powerlessness. So DBT has a skill or a tool of acceptance and then a subset of tools under acceptance how to use those tools to get to the point of, wow, I, you know, I am an act. I'm an alcoholic. I got to leave that alone. Um, the second step, there's a couple of tools in there. Again, good tools, helpful. But now we bring in DBT and now there's 10 more skills to help us uh, reach a more balanced life. And that's what I like about your book. I think that you've, you've actually combined and brought out the best elements of DBT and matched them up with the 12-step process. And I think you've actually drawn out the similarities between the recovery journey and, of both for substance use disorder and uh, uh, borderline personality disorder in, within the context of DBT. That's, that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I feel very happy to recommend this book to anyone really in this treatment space. Thank you, Dr. Fergal. I really appreciate that. Is there anything else that you feel that you'd like anyone listening or watching this to know about your book? I want people to know that there is help, there is hope, uh, that there are tools from a therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy that can complement the 12-step program, that they definitely could work hand in hand. Um, I know like when I was three years clean and sober and going into this manic spiral and I had no idea what was going on. I mean, I know people meant well, but they I was going to five meetings a day and feeling worse, you know, so... But, but that's the tools that AA had to offer. So not putting it down, but, you know, if I at that time had 
DBT skills and also knowing, oh, uh, this is not just that I need to work another fourth step. This is a mental illness. There's, there's something else happening here. Um, because I think sometimes people in recovery feel shame, like, and I did, because I saw people, their trajectory when they got clean and sober, you know, they get the house back, married, two kids. And my life actually went downhill. You know, I had a worse bottom. My bottom when I was three years clean and sober was worse than when I came into the program. And usually when you hit a bottom coming into the program, that's usually pretty bad. So I hit a real low. And um, so the book is also to let people, hopefully to alleviate shame. Like, oh, I guess I'm not working the program hard enough. No, that's not true. You're probably working at doubly hard than the person next to you in the rooms. But maybe there's, you know, another issue, a mental health issue that's going on that by doing, you know, more step work isn't necessarily the answer. Maybe looking at some DBT skills or better yet, maybe thinking, oh, I think it, it might be time for me to get outside help. For me, it represents a message of hope that there is a recovery, even for patients with dual diagnosis. Yeah. And I want to thank you for your contribution to this treatment space, Laura. I think, as I said earlier, I feel very happy to recommend this book to anyone in this treatment space. And really, it's it's pioneers like you that make that next step that then all of a sudden everyone thinks, oh, well, that's obvious. But I've never seen this before until you did it. So thank you, Dr. Laura Petracek. Thank you so much, Dr. Fergal. Really appreciate the invitation to be here today. That's all for Cracking Addiction today. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and we'll see you next time.